So hello everybody. Welcome to my Wednesday evening. I don't know where it, what time it is where you are. I'm also doing my normal split screen with people here in residence at Hayden and people online. So um, yeah, happy August Leo full moon. Something about this time of the full moon that really aligns with the energy of Sirius and freedom. So tonight's um, transmission is going to be about freedom. Uh, so I want to begin by just saying that I could feel at the beginning of this transmission the incredible frustration about trying to transmit something that you know is going to be misinterpreted and um, and projected on. <laughs> so uh, you know, like, and that was the frustration, you know, from the inner realms, and then is my own frustration about trying to transmit something that um, is going to be projected upon and misunderstood. So when I wrote the book, Occult Cosmology, DK said that really this whole book can be summed up in one word, which is freedom. It's a transmission of freedom. <clears throat> so of course that begs the question, well, how come I spent two years like <laughs> writing 200 pages worth of words, you know? And that's because, uh, not because the energy of freedom is complex, but because we live deeply embedded in a complex world of mind and personality. And we need uh, the complexity to leave a breadcrumb trail in our psyche that we can eventually follow to freedom. So freedom itself is not complex, but our understanding of it is. And one of the things that he's basically saying is that Freedom is the antithesis of what we want freedom to be. So in other words, it's very difficult for us to hear what freedom is because it, to us, it's, it's, freedom is death. Because the self that wants to be free is actually in the way of experiencing freedom. So real freedom is freedom from the self, not freedom for the self. But the self can't hear that the self doesn't want to hear that freedom means it's all over. The self wants to hear that freedom means that there's limitless opportunities ahead, you know, that there is more space and time for it to express itself. So because the identity does not want to hear freedom as death, then it gets led on a very, you know, um, slow evolution. So that was the first thing that he's saying is that to anyone beneath the third degree, because we are so deeply embedded in individuality, we interpret everything through individuality. Even the idea of masters and, and you know, beings and galaxies and so on, we can't help but channel it through our understanding of ourselves as an individual. So he said in, in Occult Cosmology, the difference between a master and a human being is that a master knows that he doesn't exist, whereas humans still think they do. And that existence is not just the existence of the personal self, because it's gra a gradual weaning process where the individual self tries to go on the journey of awakening and becoming enlightened and so on, and eventually finds that it has to die. The soul then starts to become more conscious, so identity shifts to the soul, and then eventually to the monad. 
but the personal self comes into its most powerful expression um, <clears throat> at the third degree, which is a very advanced state. And as he's saying in the, in the um, transmission, most of my audience is pre-third degree. So having an integrated personality is already a very advanced place. So he was using the analogy that the world itself, if you look at planet Earth, it's in the last stage of developing an integrated personality. And what an integrated personality looks like is one part of your being dominates the rest. Okay, and it dominates the rest as part of a survival system that is incredibly intelligent, that enrolls all of the rest of you in its story. Okay, so imagine the world, we eventually have a United Nations that um, speaks for the whole of humanity uh, and has got everybody like, you know, on board. Um, and is incredibly intelligent because it also knows that unless everybody agrees uh, that, that um, the best interest of everyone is not going to be um, withheld. So it's intelligent and it's willing for win-win and it cr creates a coherent structure. But underneath it, it's based on survival and fear of death. Okay, so your personality is the part of you that gets your shit together and coordinates your mind and your emotions and your body so that you're an effective survival mechanism because at its root, it's afraid of death and it needs to control its environment in order to survive. So he says that all politics that we experience in the world is mainly personality politics. And it doesn't matter whether the politics is dictatorship. So, you know, one self dominating all of the other selves or democracy, which is uh, the group of selves electing some selves to rule over on behalf of all of the selves. Okay. This is all still individual. It's all based on the individual. And what's enshrined at the heart of all of that politics is the freedom of the individual. Which is why he says it's so hard for you to understand what freedom is because that's not freedom. So any system that has the root of that system, the rights of the individual is already not free. So it's just so much of a mindfuck because that's where all of our, that's where all of our politics kind of goes. And as long as you are at the stage of developing your individuality and your personality, you can't hear anything else. And anything else is, feels like a threat to that. So he says, we haven't even begun to really integrate the idea of a hierarchy of love. You know, I remember when I first, you know, came across the teacher, I'm like, do you have to use the word hierarchy? Can't you use holarchy or, you know, something else? Isn't it already enough that, you know, Shambhala school, you know, you know, the, the acronym is SS, like, do we have to have hierarchy as well? Like, you know, but this, and now is it worse? He's saying, if you want to know about Shambhala, then the essence of Shambhala is the arrival of the dominant monad of earth. 
I'm like, okay, dominant monad, that doesn't really, that's not going to fly because those two words mean, you know, monad is one and dominant. So one dominant energy ruling them all, like that's everything we don't want. Okay, that's everything the personality doesn't want. So because we're so used to dominate a hierarchy, so he's saying what the personality is, is a dominator hierarchy, even if it's well-intentioned, its symbol is the pyramid. So that you have a few individuals who climb to the top of the pyramid, either for overt selfishness, like gathering all of the resources for themselves, or because they are genuinely well-intentioned and they want to serve the whole and everybody elects them to speak for the whole, for all of the individuals. It doesn't matter. Like one's more enlightened than the other, but they're both a pyramid scheme of individual selves. So he's saying that just, just to get past that is very hard because there's a deep part of our soul that is in resistant to dominate a hierarchies. And so what really a hierarchy is, is a hierarchy of love, which is beings that have graduated off their personalities and dominate hierarchies and are genuinely in service to the whole, having awakened as love. And that there is a, the world's soul is this planetary hierarchy. But we always interpret it based on our own personal development. So, and we interpret power that way. So it's a long way for, for us to even integrate the idea that, that if the world soul is in charge, then that means that every person doesn't have the freedom to do whatever they want. Like that, that style is over. The reason we don't want the world soul, our own soul even to take charge is because it's the end of our personal freedom. It's the end of our personality's capacity to be unlimited in what it wants to do and how it wants to express itself. So the next step deeper than the hierarchy of love revealing itself is Shambhala, the energy of Shambhala revealing itself. And that's the antithesis of everything that the personal self wants. So he said that the first thing you have to get is that what a dominant monad is, is it's the whole that's greater than the sum of the parts. Okay, so most of our political system is based on the individual and then the collective. So communism tries to make the collective over the individual and capitalism tries to make the individual over the collective, but there's this relationship between a whole lots of selves and the individual self, the one self and the many selves. But he says the dominant monad is none of that. It's not another self. It's the energy at the core of all selves. It's the energy that lives at the core of, core of everything. Remember that meditation we did on the last full moon, which was like, go to the core, go to the heart. And from that place, penetrate everything. Penetrate everything in your aura, all of your atoms, all of your ideas, all can be penetrated with life. That's the dominant monad. Okay, and you know, many traditions and many religions have this story of like the dismembered God. So Osiris, for example, in Egypt is the dismembered God, that there is a being that breaks itself into many, many pieces. And um, all of those pieces 
when they remember themselves, they remember their dominant monad. But you can't remember it from being a separate self. So the deep truth in that is that the, the life, the identity that sits at the core of every human being is part of that dismembered God. And it's only in the coming together, the recognition, the realization of what's at the core of yourself, that that can be remembered. But in order to remember it, that self has to surrender. So, you know, the surrender of the sense of identity that lives at your core is the pathway. And yet to most people, it's not something they're willing to do. They're going to try to do everything but that. So he says, uh, the world's soul hides behind the veils. So when the personality matures and gets busy and gets dominant, the world's soul just shifts back behind the veils, waiting for love, which takes longer. It takes longer for love to work because love isn't prepared to control everyone and break everybody's free will. Um, because of survival needs, okay? But the personality is. The personality gets short-term power based on its idea that everything needs to be controlled so that everything needs to survive. And then it runs efficient systems, okay? The soul steps back. But the monad is present in the personality, Monad is the life that actually is doing that at the core of the personal self. So a way to understand that is that it, it is what is alive in you when you feel separate from everything. That self that you have is stolen from the dominant monad. So basically what he's saying is that every human being, you know, less than the third degree has at their core a sense of no peace. There's no peace because what's sitting at the very core of the human soul or the human identity is the, rec the, the, the knowledge that you're a thief that your identity itself is stolen. It, it's not yours, it doesn't belong to you. Each soul is Prometheus, stolen, stealing fire. That fire that we've stolen from heaven to make an identity of our own that we now want to enshrine with freedom forever, that's a theft. So, and there's no peace for thieves. You know, like, doesn't matter how much you can control the world and distract yourself from the thief and like convince yourself and blah, blah, blah. You know down deep because you are this deeper one that you're a thief, that you've stolen your identity. And so preserving the rights of your identity forever and ever will never change that theft. So that's why... You know, it's very, very hard to get the individual self to embrace freedom because that freedom means it's got to admit it's theft, it's got to surrender it. And when it does, it realizes it's only a theft from the perspective of the individual. Okay, from the realm of fire, it's a gift. <laughs> like the, the realm of fire is like, 
that, that you know, you can have it if you want, but the identity runs away with its spark of the divine and then enshrines it at the very core of an individuality and protects it and then tries to pretend it didn't steal it. Okay, but when it's surrendered back to fire, then there's peace. Because in that, in that surrender back, in the recognition that there is no separate identity, that it's just a spark of the one life that, that has wrapped itself in all of these clothes, then there becomes peace. So in the absence of that peace, there's war. So he says this is really important because this is going to play out over the next decade, that freedom is coming. And to those who surrender their core back to that freedom, they'll become a whole that freedom can flow into the world. To those that resist the freedom, instead of their pupil dilating, then their pupil will constrict. And the way to avoid that freedom is you have to push it outside of yourself and you, and you need to... And when you push it outside of it, you either experience it as create it as a fear of death, the threat of death, that instead of like coming straight for your core, now it's coming from the world around you, or you have to put that death on others. Okay, the way of avoiding dying is to go to war. So that's why the last major time Shambhala impact has happened on the planet, the result has been a world war. So if it's to be different, then there needs to be enough people who understand what it is and surrender, give back their fire to the, where it comes from and, be, and dilate their monads so that energy flows into the world. So he's saying that actually this teaching about Shambhala is the most significant work that hierarchy has been trying to do over the last hundred years. And it's difficult because people aren't still aren't really ready to learn about love. Like love is already such a deeply challenging thing to, to live truly, but to truly understand power and the life and deathness of power is not something that most people are interested in. It's, it's not only developmentally not right for them, it's also, um, it's also coming ready or not. So in other words, it's, it's going to come anyway. So it has to be transmitted through those who understand it, choose it and want it. So the, um, yeah, the, the, the path of this kind of work that we're doing here and in Shambhala School is those that somewhere along the line are drawn by that energy of life. They're drawn by the daring adventure of dying so that we can live. And, you know, in the personality world, the greatest you know, way we've got close to this is that idea of like, no man has greater... Um, love then he laid down his life for his brother or his country or and it was distorted to you know put a whole lot of young men into guns you know but the essence of it is is true it's the essence of sacrifice that the giving up of yourself for the greater whole is the essence of shambhalic energy 
but the identity is not so much the body. It's not about your body dying so that everybody else's body can live, which is the way it's materialized. It's the death of an individual self. So that the greater I, the I that you really are, the I of the planet, so that that can live. As long as you are trying to live within that self, it doesn't matter what you do, how enlightened your choice is, you will probably just reinforce your own identity. And so this is where the frustration part comes in because the, the self listening is always the self that's like, how can I apply this information? You know, like, how can I, like, how is this useful to me? Like, how can I like make myself more enlightened as a result of this? Or how can I, but, but actually it's basically what freedom is saying is die. Like just die already. The self that's listening, you're a thief. You have stolen your identity from the great, you know, cosmos. It's like, let it go, die now. And then you can resurrect and you can, be resurrected as the life that you really are. But you can't use this information. Even though, you know, books and books of it can be written, but it will be of no use to you unless you get the essence of it, which is die <laughs> and live. So that death and life is so inherently part of the transmission of freedom. And that freedom as it's coming in in 2025 is pouring along this fourth path pouring in from Sirius and putting pressure on the very core of every human being. So, um, so if the dominant monad, and you know, and I, I, he uses this word, so I'm like, okay, I'm going to go with it. So dominant in music is the fifth, right? So it's G in the, 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 the normal scale. So it's the fifth. So what a master is, is someone who's mastered the fifth, plane or subplane and it normally comes a dominant chord so i think it's like g d b is the dominant chord and and when each individual is playing their chord the note of your monad is the dominant and then there's the note of your soul and then there's the note of your personality so in music if you can get the three notes of yourself vibrating together you sound the chord of your being, but the dominant has to be the monad. And the way the world is before the third degree is the dominant is the personality. And, and you threaten the personality, you deal with death. You deal with their wanting to kill you because you are threatening the very core of what it means to be an individual. Okay, so what he's saying is that dominator hierarchies um, rape or coerce. Okay, in other words, dominator hierarchies will always like push the, the power of the individual over other individuals, either just because they're selfish or for the sake of the whole, for ideological reasons. And we're fighting that in the world at the moment. Like the, 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 the two paths are gonna be the, 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 um, the selfish people are always gonna be that on both sides. And like, well, I don't care about ideologies, just like what, what's in it for me and how can I get that? Or the rebellious ones are just like, just nobody tells me what to do. You know, like the essence of a lot of rebellion is, is, is like your three-year-old where it's like, you're not the boss of me. Like, you know that, you know that thing when you're walking with a kid and they're like, you're not the boss of me, you're not the boss of me. You know, like that's, 
basically the the personal self saying like you're not over me like because underneath that it's also saying i'm the divine life of the universe you're not the boss of me like i am you you, you know like but but it's interpreted as that so these two energies that are going to play out in the world is one is going to be the energy of like you know for the good of the collective we need to lock you down put you in your room, put a mask on you, and we'll need to do this as long as is necessary for the good of the whole. And it's like, it's just rational. All of our scientists tell us and you know, blah, blah, blah. So we're just playing that out a little bit in COVID, but imagine that going up to what, what said could happen if the soul doesn't emerge is the seventh ray Aquarian age will be an age of such regimentality of materialism that you would be unbelievable. Like everything will be regimented according to the materialized Aquarian ideal, which is the good of the collective. But Aquarius is not the good of the collective, thinking that the collective is, is every individual self mass together. Because then you just have ideologies controlling the world. The latest, the latest ideology that decides what's best for everybody dominates everyone according to that. Or the other pole is the individualist pole or the liberal pole, which is like, fuck ideologies. They're like nanny states. Like I'm trusting myself and my own alignment to do what's right for me. And everybody trusts themselves. It's like, you know, like, and that's also more individuality. Okay. It's just that one individual is speaking for the collective. And when the other individual is speaking for the rights of the individual, but all of that is still stuck in individuality. So he's saying, you know, be careful and exercise restraint to not join that because you'll be encouraged to join that. And of course, it's evolutionary to join that because if you join it, you'll eventually burn out forever the part of you that wants to play that game. But one way of, one way of ending the personality, the, the individuality is burn it out. You know, like either succeed and be the top of the pyramid or like fail desperately, but like eventually burn it out. But he's saying for disciples and initiates of the world, you're being educated about this so that you can make a different choice. That you can make a choice that doesn't require those systems. And that the, the idea of the dominant monad is not the collective beating the individual or one individual rising up to be the, the dominant, um, you know, politician or whatever. It's the whole that's more than the sum of the parts that pre-exists all of the parts, that is the life at the core of all of the parts. It's that part making its presence felt. So this is the reappearance of the God of the world. And this God of the world is not like the huge God. It's just the God of earth. Okay. Because each monad is the one life, but that life is contained in different spheres of activity. And one of the things that's happening in the world is, is that the monad of earth, just like your individual monad is part of the monad of earth. In fact, it's been given its spark by that being we're all here part of earth our life is connected to the life of earth and that life has been 
dismembered. It's given itself. Like he says in the transmission, it's incredibly humbling and awe-inspiring when you realize the gift of the being that is the earth and the time and space scale that that gift is taking place in. Like to give life and, and wait with complete trust that that life will one day remember itself and so that you can be revealed at the core of that. Like what a gift, what an amazing gift that is. But the monad of earth is still small and cosmic scales. So just like your monad is part of the monad of earth, earth's monad is part of the monad of the galaxy. Okay, and as the galaxy is shining its monadic life out, it's stimulating the, the monadic life in everything in its sphere. And as the monad of Earth comes along line, and what a Shambhala impact is, what's coming in 2025, is the sounding of the note of the monad of Earth as it lines up with its galaxy. That causes all of our monadic energies to vibrate. If we aren't ready for that, then what it does is it drives us towards the soul. If we are ready for that, it opens the monad within the soul and allows life to pour through us. So alignment, you know, he says it's really important to understand that, yes, the monad is one. So it's universal. It's the one life at the core of all life. And he says that, if you want to look at the difference between personality politics, soul politics, and monadic politics, personality politics will always be about the individual and systems that try to organize the individual and have some individuals vote for other individuals and all of that. The soul, uh, and the thing is, he says, the way that you can tell is that it's very human-centric. So in other words, um, personality politics will include the other species of the earth, for example, but only as it affects the survival of humans. Okay, because it's so, so human-centric and individual-centric, it will figure out that for the economics and ecology of all of our survival, we need to look after the earth. Okay, it's not driven by love, it's driven by the efficiency and economy of like, well, shit, if the biosphere goes down, we all go down with it, so we better look after the biosphere. In fact, we'll have a law that says you have to now look after the biosphere because it threatens our survival of that biosphere dies. Okay, so this is personality politics. It doesn't care about the biosphere, except if it's going to destroy individual life and human life, and then it cares about it. Okay, because Underneath it, the personality is basically uh, intelligent survival mechanism. It's designed to have you survive. Just as when you are in your soul development work and your soul is starting to say, come on, you're here for love. And your personality is like, oh, no, no, how's that going to pay the rent? You know, like your personality is that part that's got your self-interest at heart. So he says soul politics is slightly different. Soul politics is those beings that have awakened as love who have given themselves to serve the whole. And because they're serving the whole out of love, then their motivations for like rules about the environment is not just about convenience and survival, it's they love the trees and the whales and the like. And so they, they care for them and give them rights that a lover would give rather than a survival person. 
but here it's still sentient beings. This is like the bodhisattva vow of like all sentient beings. In other words, the soul is called to the soul in things. The soul wants relationship with other souls and they're slowly extending the idea of soul from being just with people I like in my tribe and religion to all humanity, to including the animals, to, you know, including the fishes and the crocodiles. And it's gradually extending. Soul is growing its love in the world. And he says that a part of the resistance when the personality gets dominant is the soul in all things starts to resist being controlled by the personality. Because the soul is, is that part of us that's, that's love. But the soul resisting is different from the emotional body resisting. The emotional body is just basically, you're not the boss of me. But the soul resisting is saying, you know what, this isn't loving. I don't care if it may be good for the collective for me not to visit my grandmother dying in hospital but my heart rebels against that. My heart says, that's not love. And the, the ideology of love being something that is the, the greater good of the greater whole as it's interpreted through the mind of a survival is thrown out. So that's what's gonna happen in the world. People are gonna stand up for love. And that love is not an ideology. That love is your heart telling you when love is being violated, and the fact that that's been violated by a philosophy is, is not an answer. Okay, but he said that the next level monadic politics is not, doesn't have love at the center, it has life. And therefore it doesn't limit itself just to sentient beings. It's all life. It's the minerals and the rocks and the stones and the, and the angels and everything because everything has this universal life force at its core. So monadic expression of life force isn't about the care for the sentience of everything, which is the work of the soul and it's beautiful. It's the affirmation of the universal nature of life in all forms, inanimate, animate, you know, gross, subtle, everything. And when that sounds forth its note, it naturally um, dilates the core of each self okay but that dilation can be felt as an expansion into more life like a sudden evolution of life force a transmission of life or it can be felt as a threat so he said the two major reasons that, that the two major effects of shambhala energy as it's flowing in is either expansion the dilation the fascination beyond everything it doesn't even make sense but the your being like just opens to it because it's life or contraction constriction and he's saying that he's giving these teachings out because he wants as many people in the world as possible to open rather than constrict and the natural habit of being an individual in an individual body mind is to constrict, to experience this energy of life as death and as threat to the personal self. But the soul knows it for what it is and the soul can pass it through to the personal self. 
So education means you now have consciousness and awareness that when that energy comes, that sometimes it feels like too much and it just, it makes you all contract. But how to open to that, to make the conscious choice to open, knowing that it's life. And that that life, if it's to avoid, you know, death and um, constriction, it's got to come through humans. And so the role of human souls that are enough awake to taste the life and know the life and want the life is to reach for it with their yes. So then the next step of that is, is, is that, um, you know, and you'll probably experience it both here at Haydn and in, in Shambhala school, any containers that this life force is flowing into um, can sometimes be felt like a prison and sometimes felt like sanctuary. Like, you know, even people coming to Haydn, you know, like, like when you come here, it's hard to live the same life that you're living out there. And one part sometimes feels like sanctuary. Oh my, thank God I'm here. But another part feels like, oh my God, like I, I don't have freedom here. I can't do what I want, be what I want. You know, like I don't have freedom. It's like, because there's a dominant monad here and it isn't Bruce. Okay, and we'll get to that in a minute. The dominant monad is that life force, that this place is, is dedicated to that life living here. There's a freedom stone at the heart of this temple that says the energy of freedom lives here. And when we come here, we all bow before that. And it's not because like, you know, because it's great. It's because the very self that we are is made of that freedom. And when we acknowledge that, when we let the freedom that lives at our core resonate with the freedom that lives at the core of the field, then peace comes. We realize ourselves as, as having given back that which we have stolen, which is the idea of an independent life where I can do whatever I want. That is a problem. And, you know, America with its Statue of Liberty and, you know, its Aquarian soul that's supposed to bring through the energy of freedom that's lined up with 4th of July and Sirius over the next five years is going to go through a pretty horrendous process if it's going to release this energy of freedom. Because America encompasses the height of individual freedom. At the same time as sleeping inside that, is this true idea of what freedom is. So, you know, <laughs> there's a part of me that's looking on in the world with great fascination to see like, how do we get from 2020 to 2025, you know, and uh, with, with, with a change in this idea of what freedom is. Because still almost all the political debate that, you know, that I see is, is personality politics just one flavor or another flavor. And even that is deteriorated from the level it was once into something that's kind of just overtly selfish now. So how, how are human beings going to discover freedom when they still are interpreting it as the opposite of what it is? So that's the challenge. And that was the frustration I felt at the very beginning of this like transmission. It's like, you're almost like, oh my God, how am I, how am I ever going to convey this? Because it's, it's, it's automatically translated by the self as meaning the opposite of what it is. 
So, um, so yeah, then I want to get to this idea of the dominant monad and, and, uh, and in particular my role at Haydn, which is like working with this energy of freedom, how to stand for it and make space for it and not be it. Okay. Because again, the idea of individuality is that we just assume that all other individuals are like us, whether they're masters or teachers or whatever. We just assume that they're like us and that they have the, the, the basic core of their being is like the core of our being. Um, but what the freedom energy is saying is like, no, that's not true. Like what lives at the core of your being is the same as every other being, but it isn't the thief. It is true that everybody's like me. Everyone's a thief. Yes, that's true. But it's also true that everyone is not a thief everybody is being given this gift by life itself that they have then stolen but it's the gift that's the same and until we realize that then basically everybody still thinks that they're alone in their experience of being the one life hidden inside a human being stolen you know, everybody thinks that that's the experience inside everybody until it's not. So he says that you, you that the distinction between the individual self of a monad is you've got to have a recognition of these levels of being. Otherwise, you just assume that all life is the same. And it says that no individual can, can represent the whole, which is greater than the sum of the parts. Okay, so you, you can't have, and, and this is the, the, the idea of like hierarchy. We have this idea of hierarchy as like ascended masters and they're like, they're like us, but just a bit prettier and more light in their aura, you know? But, but actually a master is a whole different level of expression of what it is to be awake and conscious than a human being. They're just not like a smarter one of us. They're, they're another level of evolution. That's, that can't be judged by human standards or compared, but the individual self doesn't like that. And so then when we go to the monad of the world, or when we go to the Lord of the world, and we call it Sanat Kumara and, you know, the esoteric teachings, we like to think of that as like a wise old dude, you know, but actually it's not an individuality at all in any sense of the word, the way that we understand individuality. It's the individuality that is all of our individualities and more. Okay, so just like we are not the sum of all of the cells in our body. If I gave all of the cells in my body a vote, they still wouldn't come up with the theory of relativity, right? That if all of the cells in my body are just a collective of cells in my body. There's no one cell that can speak for Bruce because Bruce is, first of all, this personality and then the soul and then this monad that's shining through this, that's inhabiting this. So... So having a system where all of the cells get together and vote on, you know, like that doesn't work if you want dominant monad. Dominant monad is the greater than all of the sum of the parts living through and revealing itself to. So of all of the cells in my body, if I could be in direct relationship with them so that they knew me as the love and life that gave them animation, that cared for them and expressed through them and lived a purpose greater than each of their individual ones through it, then they would know their God. And I would be present with all of the beings in my sphere, in my planet. I would know each cell and atom intimately by penetrating it with my life force. 
Now you have embodiment. You have the beginnings of embodiment. So individuality is not, um, is at a totally different level than the one self of any sphere. Okay, the dominant monad is not an individual that's become more powerful than the others. It's the essence of all individuals in that sphere together and another whole octave behind that. Okay, you're not limited. We're not limited. So if Earth itself became awake and if human beings opened their monadic core, then the being that is Earth can reveal itself. And it will reveal itself in such a way that each of us will feel like as a cell in the body of this being, the creator, the God, the goddess that is the core of this world is now touching each of us personally, guiding each of us personally according to a much greater vision that we will never know because our individual consciousness can't take that perspective but that we will feel and vibrate with, with our whole being. That's how we know we're back in Eden, that heaven has come back to earth, that God has returned to earth and the goddess has risen is because each cell in this being will be vibrating with this fourth quality, this presence of our divinity. But in order to get there, we have to give up each being our own individual kingdom with its own rights, in, in comparison with the other individuals in their kingdoms and then in this poultry kind of collective organization to try to make it work for all of us. So there needs to be a bowing before that principle which lives at the heart of everyone and in all of us and will order us in such a way that we don't understand. So when it comes back to Haydn or Shambhala school or something like being in the center yeah, it's, it's, it's dangerous work because no individual can take the center. The void has to be in the center. So you can point towards it. You can embody as much of it as you can, but you can't be it. But if you don't stand for it, then it, dis then it can disappear from consciousness. And it's just replaced with personality politics. Let's all have a vote, consensus, or let's all like, let's appoint someone to, to have a power exchange with. So, you know, the closest thing we know to like true dominance is like when we play like sexual BDM, BDSM power exchange is basically like, you, you can have power over me because I give it to you and I give it to you because I want to experience, you know, surrender which is basically submission. And then maybe we might swap and I'll be the dominant and you be submissive. And, um, and so I get to experience what it's like to surrender and also to be in charge. Okay, so that's what we know about power. And we blow that up to politicians being in charge or businesses or whatever. But what he's saying is true power is, is not that. It's the same thing that releases the freedom of all parts together. So when we come together around the freedom stone, when we come together to try to create a community that's based on freedom and life, each of us has to be willing to have that live at the core of us. But basically all we're really doing is, is confessing that it already does, that we nicked it, you know, and that we're giving it back and letting it know that we know that actually the ocean really lives at the core of our wave. 
And then we get up, then, and as soon as you can do that, as soon as a community can do that, they can actually have freedom living at the core, then a lot of their organizational stuff goes. Because a lot of what politics is, is all of the waves getting together and figuring out how to run the ocean. <laughs> you know, like it's a waste of time. And then and endless meetings between waves. You know, like the waves all getting together and the big waves all getting together, the little waves, and they're all spending time figuring out how to run the ocean. And if they just, and, and the thing is, the wave's only there for a minute anyway, and then it's gone. Like, but, but, but you're enshrining that wave at the center of civilization. So it's, it's very hard for a wave to listen to the freedom of the ocean because its importance is humbled. There's a deep humility that each wave has to go through to realize it's not the center of the universe. It's not even the center of its own universe. Like it's a wave and that wave is flowing and passing. So if we want a culture where the dominant monad of the earth comes to live at the core of the earth, it's also got to come and live at the core of every human being. And what an initiate is, is somebody who has made that surrender. They've made inside themselves that gift back of what they have been given and think that they have nicked, you know, because the thing is, there's no peace as long as you know that you're separate or think that you're separate. So the coming home to our divinity, the confessing of our longing, the going through the sense of being abandoned, because you know, that's, that's the last jumping off place, the abandonment wound is just basically what the thief says, you know, when, when caught is like, God abandoned me. You know, like, but we, we abandon ourselves by the act of thieving. It's not a punishment. It's not, it's just the result of taking a piece of the divine life and making it individual. So a third degree initiative is somebody who's conquered death because they have received the gift of freedom. They've received the freedom that is already living at their core and recognize that they are that and always were that and given up the illusion of their separation. Now that freedom can begin to dance then and it can begin to dance us and communities in a way that's way beyond what any of us could come up with. And we don't need to sit and figure out how we should run our politics because we're too busy being swept along by the ecstatic current of the life of freedom that's revealing to us moment to moment the wonder and beauty of a world that we could never make up and we could never figure out and we could never have a team of scientists tell us what to do next. So we know we are here for that because we, we taste it. It's the, it's, the, it's the draft that makes us show up but we don't know how to make that happen because as soon as we try, we, we, we squeeze off the, the thing, right? So it kind of like when we stop trying and we give up and we're all exhausted and it's like, you're all a bunch of idiots and like, how am I ever going to control you? And all, when none of that happens, then the life arrives. We give up trying to organize each other, control each other. And we confess that, we can't do it. It's not just that no one smart enough has come along. It's not just that the, you know, like someone cleverer and then the rest of us, you know, needs to come along and take us all under their, their control. 
because that's more personality. So if we are really a transmission of that freedom, then we make the surrender ourselves. We like turn and face the most difficult thing to face, which is the individual self has to look into itself and realize it's the problem. Like it, it's not the solution and it doesn't need to find the solution by accumulating more power to itself, more fame, more money, more influence, all of the things that we think power are, that won't help it. It will just make it fatter and make it harder to disappear. You know, like the, like the universe has to work so hard to strip us down. It has to work so hard to strip us down, take everything away to give us those moments, those portals or initiation where we're not encompassed by all of our baggage, like the camel through the eye of the needle, where we can like just look at the portal in a very humble way and go through it. And then we're free because we're free of a self. And then the ocean can begin to flow through the wave that we were and always was. And then other people can start to drink and taste that freedom. And then they can remember that that's what they came for too and that that's who they are. And then as that freedom sweeps the world, then we start to have a culture that can bring the soul, at least the soul, into um, control, mastery of the world rather than the personality. So, you know, he's saying that if you, if you are called to that note of freedom, then the next decade is the time to make of yourself a hole for that to enter. Let the core of you dilate. But for the core to dilate, there has to be less you there, like less, less independent self trying to achieve something do something including make a difference right because as long as the self is making the difference it's another way of delaying the inevitable death of the self so um i hope that's some <clears throat> i did some justice to that transmission of freedom that he says is hidden right in the core of the very self that's listening and supposedly looking for it, but avoiding it. Um, and, and that if, if that transmission is something that can move through us, then it's gonna be something that um, is, is less visible in the world. So it's more visible to go out and, and, and make your stand. And, and you know, some of us need to, and we'll be called to that. But to allow the freedom to move through you, it's a breath. It's an experience that other people experience in its presence that some part of them becomes more awake and alive. And when we get busy shouldering the weight of our politics and our work in the world, we can lose that breath. And when we lose that breath, actually everything's lost. Even if we win the, the, the game that we think that we're playing. So um, I think, I think what we're doing gradually is developing a culture that begins to recognize when that's present and when it's absent. And when it's absent, the first thing we do is make of ourselves a uh, sacrifice. Okay. So when it's not there, then, then it's probably not in us either. 
because my experience is that it's in me and it's not in the rest of you. I don't mind. Like, it's okay. Like, I would want it to be in the rest of you, but I'm still feeling good because I've, I've got freedom at my core, right? But if it's not in me, then I start thinking it's your fault, you know? <laughs> or, I, or I start looking out inside me and feel like, what are the environmental circumstances that are stopping freedom being here? But actually, the question is always, like, how have I, how have I stolen myself again? How have I become somebody again? And how, where do I need to die to remember that cosmic giggle we were having last night, you know, that, that only really comes when you don't exist and the life force just starts to move through you collectively. <sighs> okay, so <clears throat> that's a little transmission on freedom for the evening. Uh, Maybe we take a breath and see what that wakes in us. And so if you have something to share on there, just unmute your microphone and say hello. Hi, hi. Um, really didn't want to share actually. <laughs> so I decided this is the time. Um, the, the bigger, uh, I've been in a curious state and I wanted to share about it. Uh, all sorts of resistances came up while I've been listening to Bruce and not the general one. Like most of me was absorbed and interested and curious and saw the beauty of the transmission, but uh, next to it, like a ton of subtle resistances came up as in, I really wanted to go to sleep. At the same time, I was really restless, changing my posture. And so altogether, like whatever, just let's do something and not listen to it fully. <laughs> Thank you. <clears throat> And you know, I, I feel like this is a very common thing. I think John addressed it um, the other day is, is that the fact that we're drawn to the life energy doesn't mean all of us is drawn there. And so we can have, we can have mutual uh, of those two powerful responses. A part of us can be opened and dilated by it. At the same time, another part of us is constricted and contracted and wants to get away just like people at Haydn, some parts of you are relieved at being back here and other parts are like waiting to go again, you know? So, and it's, it, and, and so it's really interesting then to have that inner dialogue between those parts and understand, okay, where is this resistance? What, is, is there something here that I need to hear from parts of me that aren't ready? And, and also what is this, excitement is there something waking up that i need to listen to so i feel like that's you've probably spoken something that's very true for for all of us and of course there's another um, alternative too which is that parts of me are dilated and open and you know transmitting it perfectly and other parts of me are constricted and contracted and tainting the transmission that you're responding to so that's also possible hey bruce yeah. hey hey everybody uh, yeah. hey um 
uh, I'm currently doing a, a political course with Charles Eisenstein. Um, yeah. And it's so like, you know, it speaks so much to, to what he talks of as like, at the core, we've got this separation wound. Um, and it's showing up in all of these, you know, like this political divide, um, which is causing us to kind of choose to like, to, to, to choose one opposing side. Um, and the more, the more that I like, the more stuff that I've been doing with him and, and all of, all of this, like it's, there's a freedom in, in seeing like, uh, the beauty and the love in like in, in everybody. Um, and, but also a deep uncomfortable, like it's uncomfortable. I'm, I'm noticing that, noticing how, how uncomfortable it is. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I love that idea that, you know, like we are everybody until some part of the everybody that I am does something that I really don't like. And then it's very hard to accept that I am that. And I think that that's the, you know, if, if the monad of earth is expressing itself, then it's also expressing itself in all of the things that we don't like, as well as the things that we do. And so somehow starting with that deep acceptance means that we are at least in our love and then from that love, we might be able to do something about it. It's good to see you. So really interesting. I'm here and in an hour is my political meeting, mm -hmm. right? So I thought that was a really clear transmission. And what, what I'm really um, can relate to is the three levels that you spoke about. I can feel resonant with each one. Like one is that survival level, the personality level. It says, you're not going to come in here and you're not going to tell me what to do, right? And the next level is like, really genuinely, I just, I, I, I can't, I just, my heart just can't bear the thought of some of this, the fear and the suffering and uh, the elderly people, you hit it on the head that are dying alone. You know, I, I, I can't, I can barely bear that, mm. you know? And then there's another part that feels like, um, you know, who was it, Gandalf, that just says quite clearly, you will not pass. Mm. And it's just like, and, and I relate to, no, you won't take gold out of the ground. No, you're not going to kill any more animals. No, you're not going to do this to the humans. No, you know, like, I can, I can feel that part that is just like all the kingdoms as at the same time, I'm really feeling the resonance and the call to the higher realm. Mm. So I can feel that whole column. Mm. So, you know, I thought it was, you know, fascinating transmission, very timely. And um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I feel like there is an important point, you know, and that is when it comes down to control, you know, it's like Nelson Mandela discovered his freedom in a prison cell and <clears throat> there's two parts of us that that respond to control one part um is the emotional body that is just rebellious that's like i want to do what i want and i don't care about the collective good so that part actually does need to be disciplined by the personality so and we can all tell that in our own beings that when a part of us says we should you know, there's maybe a lower, like a pre-soul evolution, which is just like, no, don't tell me what to do. And then there may be a post, 
part, which is actually based on a higher value than um, what we should do. That's listening to a direct transmission of what would love do in this situation. But they can be confused, just like when you go to a rebellious rally, there can be a whole lot of people there for one thing and a whole lot of people there for the other. So if we are everything, so we are that part of the global personality that is trying to form through global globalization an effective um, global personality. Like that's a good thing. It's an evolutionary thing. And we are the part still that's pre-personality that doesn't want to be told what to do. That's a good thing. It's good to be in touch with your emotions and, and your feelings. And we are the post-planetary personality, which is the soul, which holds love as sacred, which is going to resist being controlled by a personality that is based on survival when it's really here for love. And underneath all of that is that third thing you talked about is we are the life that shines through everything. And if you open to that life, then wherever you are, whether you're in the emotional body or whether you're in the, the mind trying to control humanity or whether you're in the soul, your life force is going to be increased. And so that's where he said in those early um, transmissions, death is coming. Okay, but it isn't the death um, that you think it is. It's the death that actually is life coming with freedom to liberate us from our illusion. And so if we surrender to that life, then that will increase our vitality in the world regardless of our ideology. Okay, any other thoughts or experiences? Yes, I want to share. Hello, everyone. Um, Hi, hello. You just appeared into the light there. Uh, what can I say? I'm becoming enlightened. I can feel my heart beating, and I'm like, oh, like maybe it's that resistance, but it feels deeper than that in the sense that it's bringing up a few things. And a, it's bringing up that experience, first of all, with my karma with America when, uh, when immigration put handcuffs on me and took me in for three days. And, and I can feel ever since that moment, um, this, this fear and the root level that my freedom can be taken because I've tangibly experienced that of being locked up and not being able to, to break free in that moment. And in that feeling right now that I, there's still another level of surrender because I feel like I'm still submitting and I can see it in the tiny power dynamics. Every day there's power dynamics everywhere, whether it's like putting on a mask or talking with someone who is trying to subtly dominate, whatever the stories are. And I can see and feel now more than ever this fine line between surrender and submission and I almost feel like there's a perverse part that wants to submit because <laughs> it wants, it's like this game, you know, it's like, oh, like it's, it's almost perverse in the core and, and the longing for the surrender and still going for the submission and, and maybe the way is through death, <laughs> like some big death. But sometimes I feel like it's the death is seeping, but it's not an actual big, you know, moment. So the little pathways there of this subtle game. And I'm really acutely aware of it these days. And 
want to, I'm loving to hear something around submission and, and surrender. Yeah. Yeah, beautiful. Well, I think, I think you know, <clears throat> prior to the, the passing through the eye of the needle, we experience both submission and surrender. And sometimes I think the desire for submission is our way of avoiding surrender. So in other words, and, and you can see the world's doing that. If we think that we maybe could elect somebody to do it for us, that would, res that would solve, we could submit to some authority that would um, mean that we don't actually have to surrender because when we have to surrender, we have to own that we are it and it's our responsibility. And then the other thing is the freedom, you know, like, of course, <clears throat> when you, you know, were taken into custody and handcuffed and so on, the, the natural tendency is like to resist the limits of your freedom. And of course, this is also saying that your freedom is not the freedom of yourself to be free. It's your freedom in any circumstance to allow the life of the universe to flow through you as love. And so, of course, sometimes the authentic experience of love is to stand up and resist. And sometimes the, ex the, the authentic expression of love is to laugh at the person who's handcuffing you. And sometimes it could be to do a little jig or to like, take care of the person next to you. But the essence is not what you do. It's whether there's a self in there that's frustrated. Okay, because if there's a self in there that's frustrated, then that's the clue of what hasn't been surrendered. That self still is operating independently. It's not accepting its environment and meeting it as the divine life. It's the frustrated personal self that thinks its liberty is going to be taken away or that, that it might be, might be, you know, threatened or so, you know, like, well, of course we all have it. But for me, it's always a sign in stress, the personality comes to the fore. And you can see in the world now, like in the places where there are lockdown, mental health issues and family violence and all of these things, that's because the personality is being constrained. And when it's being constrained, it experiences a lack of freedom. And yet that isn't true freedom. Anyway, thanks for sharing. And uh, I like the light behind you. <laughs> yeah, June. Um, I heard a, like so there was one thing which if I heard you right was this idea of like two parts. One being also like how to contact the monadic black energy. One part being burning up the soul, so like burning completely until there's nothing left, and then yes, you kind of like come into your feet. Yeah. The other being like those skills can actually choose that application of choice or. Yeah. Well, I think I think he was saying actually more that was <clears throat> that you can. You can choose to operate out of personal freedom and to stand up for personal freedom. Um, or, you know, like I could see on both sides, there'll be some people who genuinely believe that the most important thing to do now is to control the selfish rebelliousness of the population so that more people don't die. Okay, that could be their authentic expression. And there's somebody else, their authentic expression is to like stand up for the rights of the freedom of the individual in the face of like, uh, you know, glowing global world order dominance or whatever. Uh, those could be authentic expressions, but they will lead to burnout. Okay, because they're, they're burning out a 
um, individual self-assertion, even if that is for the sake of the whole. Whereas he's saying that the deeper surrender to freedom is to allow um, the self to take that tension of wanting to make a difference and give it back to the core. And then whatever moves through is going to move through without the self being strengthened. So the, the, the clue is, does whatever action you take at this time over the next decade of tension, does it result in uh, a strengthening of yourself and then a burnout? Or does it result in a liberation from the self and a flow through you of these energies of freedom? I think that was the distinction. Okay, so thank you, everybody. I have a was... question. Okay, all right. Um, it, it seems, sorry. <laughs> it seems that DK describes... Healthy self-assertion in Leo, so I'm, I'm going to go with that. Um, yeah, it seems that it's a, it's a society of third degree initiates that's being described there, the way people function and move as cells of a living organism. And... Like even in Shambhala school, the way it's run, where there there are no third degree initiates. So how do we bridge this? Sure. Well, <clears throat> we're still at the end of a six ray age where fake it till you make it is um is the keynote. So we're 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 learning about the ideals so that we can begin to live them and so that we can recognize them. So whether or not we are third degree initiates as the degree initiates appear in the world and start to transmit the freedom that is at their core, we can begin to recognize that and respond to that. And that accelerates our path. And one of the things that Shambhala School is doing and Haydn is doing is we're using the first aspect, the, the dark light, the monadic will, we're using that to accelerate our evolution as souls and personalities. So we don't actually have to have, um, we don't actually have to have made that deep core surrender and be living from that place. All we need to do is increase the times that that place is active in us. And that will accelerate our evolution. So even if you only have a moment of freedom, you know, once a month, then that little homeopathic dose of freedom when all is well and you don't exist and the life is thundering through you, that will rapidly accelerate your soul and personality evolution. All right, beloveds, beautiful to see and feel you on this full moon and uh, see you next week. <laughs>